0: This presentation is from UX Australia 2022, day two. Hello everyone Um, and welcome to my talk, uh, the narrative design of everyday things, storytelling and digital products. Um, So today we'll be talking about storytelling, but particularly narrative structure, that thing that writers and creators have been using for centuries to create art and works of literature, but specifically um, how we can use it as designers as a framework to think about technology slides. Um, So once we've introduced some of these ideas, um, then we'll dig a little deeper and apply this concept of story structure to websites and apps and immersive technology. And finally, we'll round out some of this thinking with a series of three storytelling principles for designers. We've had a few principles um in this conference but yeah you'll get a few more from me um so who am I um I work as a UX designer and a content strategist at Avenard, a consultancy owned by Accenture and Microsoft Um, but before I was working in technology I had a background as a screenwriter and a filmmaker Um, and I made a few short films and a web series uh, as well as working as an assistant in scripted development for film and TV And it was in doing this work, uh, in writing and reading a lot of screenplays, that I became obsessed with this idea around narrative structure. Narrative structure is the idea that underneath all of the things that make a story so compelling, that is the characters, the dialogues, the twists and the turns, is an underlying system that the author is using to tell the story. Uh, The way I like to think about it is as a model for taking a complex system of human feeling Like a film or a tv show and breaking it down into smaller digestible chunks so on this slide you'll see what's commonly referred to as the story arc broken down into an exposition a climax and a resolution um, also known as a beginning middle and an end Um, you're probably familiar with something that looks like this from a storytelling perspective um, but this is just one way of thinking about how stories work that's because writers and communication theorists have been Going, you know, going back to, to to the time of Aristotle and the Greeks, have been talking about narrative structure, and mapping out their own models, their own systems of meaning and emotions. Um, so some of these you might have heard of, like the hero's journey, but uh, others like five act or the sparkline, you may not be familiar with just yet. And story structure even has its own mini industry of storytelling gurus. Who write books and get up to speak at conferences um, and pretend that they know what they're talking about uh, and you know i can't imagine anyone would ever do this um, but in the usa researchers at georgia tech have even got ai machines in on the action and this is an algorithm that uh, was asked to watch episodes of game of thrones and plot out its own bespoke story structures uh, now these storytelling gurus and now ai algorithms have done a lot of work to explain how story structure functions in the world of fiction and drama that is literature, film and TV, Um, but how can we as designers who make digital experiences for a connected world think about how these processes of meaning making and storytelling work on these new technologies. So enter this happy looking guy here, Don Norman, who you're likely already familiar with, I know he's been mentioned already in some of the talks, the first person to hold the title of UX designer at Apple in 1993 and the co-founder of the NNG group. Um, But before he was known as the godfather of user experience, he was working in Silicon Valley in the late 1980s, holding degrees in electrical engineering and psychology. um, And he was helping IBM design one of the first ever laptops, the PC convertible. But when it came time to test the product, he noticed something strange which is that the team had meticulously worked on the physical build of the product, that is, uh, but, but the users, they didn't care about how easy it was to, to open and to close, and they didn't care about how big the handle was. What they cared about was how frustratingly long it took to boot up uh, and how confusing it was to navigate the interface, um, which is to say uh, that he had stumbled upon the idea that would become central to UX design, which you're all familiar with, Um, but it is that humans process their experience as a series of feelings, as a story. And it's the designer's job to make a product that enables that story. In other words, users don't care about products or services. They care about how that technology, that product or service makes them feel. Um, And this became the thesis of his book, The Design of Everyday Things, which I ripped off for the title of this talk today. Um, And where you'll find the word story referenced some 30 times. So, Norman's story reminds us that designers are storytellers um, and that part of our job is to create a series of feelings in our users, to tell them a story using our designs. Um, But just how do we go about telling those stories? So today we'll be using the old to understand the new. We'll be applying these universal concepts around narrative structure, um, how stories are constructed um, to map how users experience the modern world of information technology. Um, And we're gonna start by looking at the Humble website. Specifically, we'll look at how we might think about websites and apps through the lens of the Sparkline, a storytelling structure uh, that I think has a lot of utility for designers um, when it comes to designing experiences, but I think also when it comes to uh, showcasing designs um, and playing that design back to stakeholders. Uh, So what is the Sparkline? Nancy Duarte is a speechwriter and communications researcher, best known for co-authoring the film An Inconvenient Truth, and when she was writing Al Gore's speech for that film, um, she looked at all of the great speeches throughout history and she tried to identify whether or not these speeches followed a particular pattern. What she found was that the core tenet of these speeches was a series of contrasting events or narrative beats between the world as it is, that is our current reality, and the world as it could be, a vision of the future until finally asking the audience to commit to that new bliss, that state of change, or a a call to action. And this was the case whether she looked at Steve Jobs' address at the launch of the iPhone or whether you look at Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. And I don't know if you've seen that iPhone launch speech, um, but it's really interesting. Jobs sets up the story um, by talking about the average mobile handset of the day, you know, a chunky Nokia brick that could call and text, and probably not too much else. And then he provides a vision of the future, a device that combines an MP3 player, a touch screen, and an iPod. Oh, sorry, an MP3 player, a touchscreen, and a mobile. Um, and he continues to compare these two devices, you know, the shitty Nokia brick that you've got, and this mythical new device um, that combines all these things. Um, until finally, he lets the audience know that this mythical device, the iPhone, is available and it's shipping today, that that call to action, that vision of the new bliss. Um, But what about when we're thinking about our designs themselves, not just just talking, not just playing those back? Well, many, but not all websites and apps are about persuading our users to do something, whether that's enrolling to vote, making a reservation at a restaurant, or if you're me, buying a dehumidifier on ebay.com.au. Now, what you're looking at here is my It's my eBay homepage. Um, And you can see that, yeah, I've recently bought a dehumidifier as well as a pair of Reebok sneakers. Um, So now let's use the Sparkline to map that journey of persuasion, that story, how eBay.com sucked in yet another returning customer. Okay, so our story starts with two months of nonstop rain in Sydney, hence the dehumidifier. Uh, And my shoes, my current Reeboks get very wet, sad stuff. The world as it is. Um, But I know that a new world is possible. And that's because you might not be able to to see the text very clearly here, but I I spot a Zoomer wearing some fresh Yeezys. And I know that, you know, that these Reeboks, they're not doing the trick for me. A vision of the future. Um, But then that rain continues. And so I browse for sneakers online until finally I click buy now on eBay and I become the proud owner of some white Reeboks. Now, I'd encourage you to play around with the story format like the Sparkline, um, when you're thinking about persuasive design, particularly how you might be able to plot your users' feelings along a structure like this, between what is and what could be, leading them towards a call to action. But not all websites aim to persuade us to do something. Sometimes an experience is only meant to grab our attention for a few short notice, a few short moments, sorry. So I want to talk a little about microsites, that is small, targeted, online experiences, often created as part of a larger campaign or as an experiment by a creative technologist. Sites like Guns to Swords, now I really love this design, Um, firstly I really like the cool heavy metal aesthetic, Um, it was created by the musician Grimes and the art collective Mischief, Um, and the website offers the users the opportunity to mail in a firearm and receive in its place an ornamental sword. Another experience I really enjoyed was Spotify's Listening Together, um, accessible to any user with a Spotify account, allowing you to play the same song the exact same time with a total stranger anywhere in the world um, by browsing along a 3D map. So two very different microsites, um, but both short, sharp, and playful gestures. Um, Now you have to excuse me in advance because I'm about to do one of the least funny things you can do, which is to talk very, very seriously about jokes. The joke is a limited but often deeply complex format for telling stories. Because of its brevity, every word and its placement within a sentence has outside importance. And so, in this way, a joke is very similar to a smaller digital experience or interaction like a microsite. Now, Jerry Seinfeld of the hit TV show Seinfeld has a great process when it comes to writing jokes, and he details it in this 2012 video from the New York Times. Basically, he has these yellow legal pads and over and over again, he rewrites the joke, um, you know, often taking up, you know, 10 pages for, you know, a single, you know, 20 word joke, um, structuring them very carefully into a setup. So, you know, the beginning of the joke, the punchline, the moment where the joke lands and a tag or a series of tags, the moments after the punchline riffing on the joke. I told you it wouldn't be funny talking about jokes. (laughs) Um, So each step escalates notably and feeds into the next. But what can the structure of a joke tell us about how microsites work? Well, let's think about our guns to swords example. What is the setup? Well, the setup really is America's obsession with firearms. There are 1.2 guns in America for every person. Um, And without this fact, the website doesn't really make that much sense, like in the context of Australia, you know, who's using this website. Um, The punchline is the website itself and the service that it offers, allowing you to send in that gun and melt it down in a medieval furnace into an ornamental sword. And the tag, well, on the website is a strange and cheeky manifesto titled, "Our Guns a Phallic Symbol? So next time you're working on a microsite or a small digital interaction, you can think about how a joke-like structure might apply, how you might be able to surprise and delight your user, um, you know, to excite them, to make them laugh by making use of every available element to tell a short, escalating and punchy story. So we've talked about persuasive design in websites and we've talked about microsites what about those websites and apps that operate on a bigger scale? now I've really clumsily called these mega sites um, but what I really mean by that is um, large- scale apps and websites like YouTube Microsoft teams or Tinder um, and you know what kind of unifies these completely different experiences is that all of these services are actively trying to keep you on platform and engaged for as long as possible So whether that's catching yourself in An endless scroll uh, down the feed watching reel after reel or whether it's 1am and you're buzzing on Diet Coke um, and you're cruising through Wikipedia just clicking article after article. But how can we think about plotting out these larger journeys well Dan Harmon, the creator of the TV show uh, TV shows Community and Rick and Morty um, has a great model for thinking about this uh, type of a cyclical narrative called the story circle, which you're looking at here. Uh, and its power rests in its deep connection to our core human needs, embedded within our ancestry and within our biology. To leave the home, steps one and two, you need. To hunt and to gather and to explore the terrain, steps three, four, five and six, go search, find and take. And to finally return home changed by the experience, steps seven and eight, return and change. And in thinking about how the story circle might apply to UX, I thought particularly about how certain social media sites incentivize us to return again and again, incentivize users to to come back for that next hit of dopamine. So here a user feeling bored, a need ventures out into the world by picking up their phone. And there they search, scrolling through the newsfeed until eventually they take A screenshot of a meme and they send it to a friend. And they laugh and they put down their phone thinking, you know, maybe that's the end of it. Until finally they get a notification, a change, a trigger for that next hit that kicks off the whole process again. Now, the story circle teaches us how powerful, but also, you know, in this case, potentially addictive uh, good UX, uh, good storytelling, sorry, can be in UX. But I'd encourage those of you working on larger applications. To think about how you can create a less nefarious version of this story and how you can use all of the different digital touch points available to you in order to create a circular narrative. So finally we'll take a look at immersive experiences and by this I mean augmented reality, also known as mixed reality that is computer images projected onto physical space uh, and virtual reality completely fabricated 3D worlds. Now, I get really excited about this stuff, but I realize that not everyone does, for one, a lot of designers aren't getting necessarily hands on in this in their day to day. But I think, uh, even though these technologies are still in their emergent stages, they have a lot to teach us. Um, And I really think that, um, yeah, that, you know, there's a lot of hype around them. um, But beyond that, I think they're doing something very interesting from a storytelling perspective. Now, Marshall McLuhan wrote in the 60s, that the medium is the message. And then he was talking about television. um, And other theorists who looked at TV focused on the content, they looked at the advertisements and the sitcoms and the news bulletins. um, But he would actually go into people's homes and observe them watching TV, uh, when they watched it, how many times um, and at what hours where the TV was placed within the home. And so this is what's really meant when we say the medium is the message and why immersive technology is so exciting from this angle. So as technology has evolved, we've gone from being able to explore ideas over time in a book to being able to replicate sensory experience in film and TV until finally in our world of software, we've been able to add that element of interactivity in websites and video games. And what immersive technology does is unlock a new dimension the ability to replicate space itself. And this creates all sorts of new possibilities, both for designers and for storytellers. So six years on, Pokemon Go remains one of the most popular augmented reality apps on the App Store, entertaining millions of gamers on the daily. And on its face, it's a very simple story. Uh, You, uh, a hero, step out into the world, your neighborhood, to collect as many cute creatures as possible. And sometimes you battle them and get experience points and medals. But in practice, the real story of Pokemon Go was complicated by millions of players moving around in physical space. Whilst parents were initially relieved that their kids were finally getting some exercise, the game became responsible for countless traffic accidents and controversies and you know, uh, Pokemon and gyms were placed Uh, over uh, all sorts of places, including, you know, the Auschwitz and 9-11 memorials. Now, because AR and VR haven't quite had their mainstream adoption moment, only a few brave souls have stuck their necks out and tried to map out the world of immersive storytelling. And one of those is Stephanie Riggs, whose excellent book, The End of Storytelling, attempts just this. So Riggs was a theater director. And inspired by the lackluster job market in the arts, she went back to school and studied computer science in the late 90s and got involved in the early VR scene, and it was there that she became captivated by the technology. And she said that more than web or film um, or video games, it reminded her of theatre, of the stage. And so in her book, The End of Storytelling, she writes, when there is no frame, we look where we please, act on what we are compelled to respond to and respond to our environment as it in turn responds to us. I think this is an interesting framing, particularly as we move into a world where these technologies are gonna become more and more popular. And when I read that quote, I was reminded of David O'Reilly, the artist and technologist who you might know for his work on the film Her, but he also makes these really cool Instagram, Uh, augmented reality experiences Um, but particularly his 2017 video game everything and so in everything you can play as everything you can play as a cow you can play as a tree you can play as a single cell bacteria um, you can play as a continent and you zoom in and out changing perspective and shifting scope and it gets very psychedelic very quickly Um, but more than anything else that i've seen the video game everything captures the way that we can experience immersive technology. And it's helped me think about the idea of immersive storytelling as a fractal experience. I think um, rich mentioned fractals as well earlier. Um, So people have long been talking about how fractals these patterns in nature um, can help us conceptualize complex human systems. But what does a fractal mean in the context of narrative structure? Well, in a fractal story structure, the player or the user is just one part of a layered, nonlinear, and spatial narrative. In fractal storytelling, the creator relinquishes some of their control over the flow of the story and hands that back to the audience. And this can be an interesting proposition. And that's why in Pokemon Go, even though it's not the game developer's intentions, sometimes a player will enter a Buddhist temple and start tossing virtual Pokeballs into the ether and they have to put up these signs. So before I go, I'll leave you with three storytelling principles for designers, a few final nuggets of wisdom that hopefully turn some of the more abstract ideas that we've talked about into some key takeaways that you can think about in your own work. The first is that different technologies demand different approaches to story. The second is that your design story is co-created with your user. And the third is that different stories create different relationships between you and the user. First up, different technologies demand different approaches to story. So now, as we've seen, we can plot out different forms, different technologies using these different narrative structures, but how exactly do they differ from one another? Well, the sparkline, which we used when talking about persuasive design, um, is linear and finite, ending with that final call to action for the user. And the story circle when we looked at when mapping out some of those bigger experiences, um, like that social media example, is also a linear journey, but here it's repeating. And there is the possibility and maybe even the intention on the part of the designer uh, to create uh, an experience where the user sticks around for as long as possible. And finally, we talked about the fractal, which we can use to understand immersive technology and maybe in some ways the direction in which digital storytelling is going. And here, the user's journey is more freeform. It's non-linear and it can be repeating or finite. Number two, your design's story is co-created with your user. So in the same way that we talk about our designs being co-created with our users, so too are our stories, but in a slightly different way. And we can think about that level of story co-creation depending on the technology. Each of them sort of tend towards different spaces. And I call this the authorship to co-authorship scale. Um, So from authorship, meaning the idea of a single creator um, who has complete control, um, you know, in the instance of a book, like, you know, I can throw my copy of Harry Potter across the room, um, but when I pick it up again, the words in the book have still been determined by JK Rowling. And as we move forward to a process of co-authorship you know particularly in the case of websites video games and immersive experience the interactions that the user has with that object uh, that awareness and that choice bringing that into the equation that creates a new factor um, that can completely change the type of experience and the type of story that we're talking about now there's obviously exceptions to the rule like in the case of something like fan fiction where you know The user is doing a lot of co-creation and there are immersive experiences that are very much um, artistic. Like I think a lot of David O'Reilly's work kind of fits into that and they are uh, highly controlled by, by the artist. But I think it's an interesting conception. And number three, these different technologies and stories create a different relationship between you, the designer and your user. Um, So we can map that on a scale from a level of passivity, passive engagement, where we can use words like an audience or a consumer, to getting more active words like a user or a customer, until finally um, words that kind of capture this idea of an active co-creator or an active partner in the story, where you're no longer telling them the story, telling them how to feel, but rather actively generating that story together in a bit more of a Dungeons and Dragons kind of a way. So I'll leave you on this final note. Um, A reminder, something that I said earlier, that designers are storytellers and to bring your own story, your own humanity to the table. Whether you're a musician who loves playing the piano and you can find a way to bring that playfulness and that creativity into your designs, or a parent whose deep concern for the future um, can help inform your work. Your story adds to the rich tapestry of this thing that we're building together because I really believe that designs are more than just code in a database. They're sense-making tools. They are emotional. Uh, They are stories, part of the deep interconnected fabric of our world. Thanks.